Each day we're influenced by what we see, and eventually that becomes what we identify as normal. Both Sarah and I have worked with clients that have come to us saying, how come I can't look like that person? They always look so good. Or how come I can't get leaner faster? This person on Instagram does it in six weeks. But unfortunately, social media isn't always reality. And as someone who owns a photography and creative design business, believe me when I tell you that it's far too easy to manipulate and adjust a photo or video to display the most marketable aspects of a person or a business. So I was recently speaking with my friend, today's guest, on some of the realities of being a fitness model, and we decided that it was time to inject some truth and reality into the ecosystem of health and wellness. On today's episode, we speak with IFBB Pro model and influencer Tessa Baresi. Tessa is one of the youngest IFBB pros ever and has worked with companies such as Gymshark and is currently an EHP athlete, but recently has taken a bit of a turn in the way that she sees the fitness industry. And that is exactly what we're here to talk about today. It's that the fitness industry can often be very different than the health and wellness industry. To my right is my lovely co-host, Sarah Collins. Hi, everyone. And Tessa Baresi, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy that you are here today. Finally, we get to have you on to have this discussion because we've talked for hours off camera about this stuff before. But before we get into the nitty gritty of all these awesome topics we're going to get into, you are a well-decorated person at a very young age. You've traveled the world. You've gotten these incredible brand deals. You are what so many women look up to as, oh my gosh, I want to do that. There was actually a recent survey that just recently came out of the UK where they asked kids in high school what they wanted to do when they graduated. And uh, I think it was over 60% of the people said that they either wanted to be a YouTuber or an influencer. So you're literally what people look up to as, wow, she's doing what I want to do. So I'd love for you to take us through like the past couple of years of what has, has it gotten for you to get to this point? How did you get to this point? And how has your mindset and awareness shifted over this process that has gotten to you to the Embodied Wellness podcast today? <laughs> right. So I guess, where do I begin? Um, I was always a very solo person. Like I really gravitated towards solo type sports. Like I did track and field. I loved sprinting because it was just me. And I only had to rely on myself. I guess that's kind of how I was raised or how I learned to be as a child, like just self-dependent. So going into bodybuilding, I was like, great, this is perfect. All I need to do is rely on myself. It's kind of like this constant that nobody else can take away from me. And it quickly became like a safe haven for me where I could just go and I, I wouldn't have to rely on anybody else and I could meet my own needs. And in that, it kind of became this coping mechanism slash obsession that took off at such a young age. So I started my very first competition prep at the age of 16 years old. So that is oh. incredibly young <laughs> to be starting a diet, starting to step on stage in a bikini and compare my body to other women. Uh, not to mention that's when I started posting on social media and started to have a social media presence where people would look at my body, they would objectify my body and they would, I would get attention from it. So instantly like this, this coping mechanism that I had was getting so much attention and that's something that I didn't have growing up. So it almost became like an addiction. And then that's where everything just took off. So I started competing at the age of 16 um, I did my first show at the age of 17 and I started to develop a very severe anxiety disorder in high school and 
bodybuilding was always there and bodybuilding was the one thing that kind of made me feel okay it kind of took me out of my reality and put me into this other world where it was just me and I just had to rely on myself so I very at a very young age became like emotionally attached to bodybuilding um from there like I just I kept competing I kept competing and I started to push everyone away in my life like everyone friends relationships um I didn't let anybody in emotionally and I kind of felt like I had to I had to have like this ice cold heart to make it in this industry because this industry is a very selfish industry especially bodybuilding like you always have to have your own back because you don't know what's going to be coming for you. Um, so throughout the years, I grew my social media. I landed brand deals. I got signed by Gymshark. I got signed by EHP Labs. Throughout all of this happening, I experienced multiple severe losses in my family. Um, I lost my father one week before one of my competitions. I still stepped on stage right after that I got signed by Gymshark so it's like all of this life stuff was happening but it was happening so fast and I was growing at such a rapid pace that I don't even think I had time to really understand and feel and cope with these things so I had all of this underlying emotional trauma resentment all of these feelings that I just kept pushing down and down and down because bodybuilding was my coping mechanism it was my distraction so going forward I became obsessed with this idea of becoming an IFBB bikini pro. I had always wanted to become a pro. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to do it. After my dad passed away, it was like I was fueled by anger and sadness and pain. And I pushed everyone away from me. And I only had one goal in mind, and that was to become an IFBB pro. I figured if I became an IFBB pro, all of my problems would be solved. I would be happy it would be great. So this went on from the ages of 18, 19, 20. I just kept going for it and going for it and going for it. I feel like I definitely lost my sense of self and that sense of like, I need to protect myself. It was kind of like I was acting in a very destructive way to get that prize because I figured once I reach the top, I'm going to be happy. And I eventually did reach the top. I, I earned my IFBB Pro card. And it was like a, a really hard slap in the face because I realized that this isn't going to make me happy. This wasn't the thing that was going to bring me that fulfillment that I had been chasing for years and years and years. So after that, I actually went into a really long depressive episode and my anxiety came back. My depression was harder than ever because I no longer was prepping. I no longer was depriving my body of its basic nutrients and needs, and I could actually feel my own emotions. So I had to deal with the loss of my father, the loss of my grandmother, the loss of my stepdad, all of which happened during this time. And I think that's when it really, really hit me that my happiness would not come from this industry or attention or bodybuilding or getting that external fulfillment. And it took me a long time to finally find myself again, find who I am now and be able to just be myself without having to prove myself or do this or do that or get a lot of attention. And now I find myself here and I'm in a really good 
place. I'm in a healthy mindset. And my number one focus, and I think the biggest mindset shift I've had is I no longer want to be destructive to myself. I want to be the woman that I wish I had when I was young. I want to protect myself and I want to cherish myself. Wow. There is so much. To, there, yeah, <laughs> there is so much to unpack there. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for sharing some of these things publicly. I mean, that's that's amazing. We're getting right into it. I I wasn't sure we were going to. Like it's time to go. <laughs> it certainly is. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I think something really important to touch on that was an underlying theme here is the idea that it's okay to have goals for yourself and it's okay to have a physical goal for yourself. However, a lot of times I work with women too who feel like they need to wait until they achieve something in order to be happy. And so you're mm -hmm. always working on something outside of yourself and you're trying to find an internal feeling with external reward. And it just doesn't work because you can lose the weight, you can win an IFPB pro card, you can change your whole physical appearance, you can transform, you can have the best Kim Kardashian booty. And at the end of the day, still there you are. And so it's so important to realize that people like Tessa are looked up to in the fitness industry and you'll have clients who say, I want to look like this. However, that's not going to make them happy. And so we really need to be supporting ourselves. And like Tessa said, cherishing ourselves along the way, because the only place we're going to find happiness is within. And it sounds very cliche. However, as she touched on when you're going through something like a prep or when a lot of people do these extreme diets, you're depriving yourself of like nutrients, love, happiness, attention, care. And so the actual method that's taking you to where you think you want to be is not a very happy method. It's a very disciplined and it can be a very dark place. And so the question then to ask is if you're trying to make a change in order to be happy, don't you think that the method along the way should also make you happy? And so I love that mm -hmm. we're able to kind of break down this conversation and to realize that the end goal is not the way that you look. The end goal is how you think you'll feel once you have that look or once you reach that achievement. And again, we've talked about this before on podcasts is that you actually don't need to wait in order to get something to feel the way that you think you do. And so backtracking and like Tessa said, the first thing you should be taking care of is cherishing yourself and honoring yourself along this journey. So I love that you brought that up. And I think it is such an important message to hear from somebody who's been there and who is like a pretty big face of that. So thank you for sharing. We always bring up the quote, uh, the, the quote, you don't want muscle. You want what you think muscle is going to give you. And that's something we always refer back to because it's not just to do with fitness, even though that's kind of the scope that we're in, obviously it's, it's the same thing as, as you don't want the car. It's what you think the car will give you. So before we get to the next mm -hmm. question, I think maybe what I want to ask you is when you got into the fitness industry as a way of coping, what were you looking for? Was it community? Was it cause for me personally, I had just stopped playing hockey, um, I started competing when I was 17, 18. I did a couple shows more so to, to market my personal training business. Cause I thought that's what you do at that age. I was like, this is a great idea. Took home a first place show. It felt really great. But at the end of the day, I really freaking missed hockey. I just missed being in the room with the boys. I missed, I missed having a team. I missed being around people. So for me, a lot of the time it's, it's been searching for a community to be, to feel a part of because we're humans and we're human animals and we'd like to be in packs. But what were you looking for? 
I guess the biggest thing I was looking for was connection because at the time that I, that I started bodybuilding, I didn't have many close friends. I didn't have someone who was so close to me that I feel like I could connect with. Like even growing up, my own parents, they weren't really around that much. My parents got divorced at a very young age. I've witnessed a lot of that. And from the age of six years old, like I didn't know what love was. I didn't know what connection was. So I think going into my teen years, um, I just craved that so, so badly. I wanted to be part of something. And I also wanted people, and this is going to sound very vain, but I wanted people to pay attention to me because it's something that I didn't receive as a child. So I can see that now, like looking back at my behavior, then I can see like, oh, I, I wanted someone to notice me. Um, and now where I am, where I am now, I'm like, well, I notice myself, I see myself because I am that person for myself. But at that age, it was just like, once the likes and the follows started rolling in, it was like, boom, people are noticing me. I'm finally getting that attention and that validation not necessarily the healthy kind of validation, but it was validation nonetheless. I 100% agree with that. There's two things that we can we can kind of take out of this first bit of the conversation is number one, I really think people should look at whatever's on their vision board, whatever's on their dream board, look at that and then ask yourself, really sit on it for a bit, unpeel the onion and go, why do I really want that? Do I want it because, oh, I like that car because I like art. I gave that myself that excuse once. I do like art, but that's not why Abby, I wanted Abby. that. Car. Hey, we don't, we don't talk about that anymore. Too soon. Too many thousands of dollars gone on that one. But exactly that is like, why did I want that? Was it because of this or that? So really unpeel the onion and sit there with yourself and go, can I get that out of my life in a different way or another? And I think you might have a breakthrough with yourself on that topic. The other one is obviously mentioning um, the likes, the follows and all that stuff. We talk a lot about how the chemicals that influence our brain affect a lot of the ways that we, we live our life and the addictiveness of social media. We don't need to go into a tangent on that. If anybody wants to, a really good resource, if you haven't already watched it, um, a great documentary, and I don't usually reference documentaries as good data sources because most of the time it's cherry-picked information, but I highly recommend you check out the documentary, The Social Dilemma. Um, most of the data, oh, I've seen that. yeah, it's good, right? And it's backed up with great info. I think, and once you watch that, you start yeah. to pick up a lot of um, what you do in your life and go, oh my gosh, that's completely controlled by some of these things that make me feel good. Those dopamine hits, we call it, but we'll move on. It's really interesting to also ask the question, if there was no social media and there was nobody mm. who would have their eyes on you, nobody who would celebrate you for going towards that goal, would you still want it? And mm -hmm. it's kind of, I genuinely think that I do, I would still want it because I actually loved bodybuilding. Like I actually, mm -hmm. to be honest, I loved powerlifting because that gave me a sense of fulfillment, like strength in myself. And I didn't care who was looking at me or what I was doing. I switched to bodybuilding because I almost herniated a disc in my back because I was lifting 315 pounds at the age of 16 you know, you're going to get hurt. So I switched to bodybuilding and then that's when everything became about vanity and the external. So I think that's where I kind of got like, Oh, okay. And I think like yeah. this, it's important for people to reflect on this as well, because I've worked with clients who on their intake say that a big contributing factor to their mental health is comparing themselves or feeling like they need to look a certain way on social media. 
And so this then actually drives the habits that are really taking a toll on their mental health because they feel like they need to eat less so they look a certain way. And then because they're eating less, they're then overeating or binge eating and they can actually pinpoint it to coming back to social media. And so I think that that is such a huge topic to cover. But one thing that I've seen as a really common theme in clients and friends is people don't truly understand what it takes to get the physique that they see quote unquote fitness models on Instagram. Many people think if I start living a quote unquote healthy life and I track my macros and I go to the gym five days a week, I'm going to get the body of Tessa Baresi. And then all of a sudden they're so upset because they track their macros for two weeks and they maybe lost half of a pound. And so we look up to these people with six pack shredded abs and it's, it's impressive. They dedicate, we'll, we'll get into this. They dedicate all of their time and effort into looking that way. However, it tells you absolutely nothing about their biomarkers, about their hormone health, digestive health, mental health, relationships, their ability to go three days without crying over spilled milk. Hey. And so... Let's not take shots at me. <laughs> that was a totally shot at them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that it's really important to understand that fitness modeling or bikini competitions is extreme. It is not the product of a healthy lifestyle per se. So I would love if you could let our listeners know a little bit about what it looks like to get in peak conditioning for a shoot or a show. <laughs> okay, so a shoot is very different than a show. Mm -hmm. I will say that. Um, a show is the trauma is coming back. I'm just kidding. But, um, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> we're going to have to take a five minute break for a trauma break. <laughs> Do trauma break. Um, so I have prepped with two different coaches throughout my competitive career and both of which like to preach on social media that they don't put their clients on these super low calorie diets because that's obviously marketable to the competitor who doesn't want to go on a low calorie diet. Nobody does. However, in both instances, I have had to diet 1100 calories and lower. Um, I've had to do hours of cardio every day. It's, it's sometimes you just get to the point where no matter what the coach wants to push you that extra mile for the win, even if your mental health is deteriorating, your body's deteriorating, it's kind of the thing where it's the all or nothing mentality. So you have to be in it to win it or you're not in it at all. So for prep, I would say the most difficult that my prep ever got, I was eating 800 calories a day and I was doing two hours of cardio every single day alongside all of my training sessions at the gym. I was so tired that I would walk on the treadmill in my pajamas and cry. And my mom would ask me if I'm okay. And I would say, yeah, I'm fine. I remember sitting in my bedroom, noticing that my hair was falling out, that my nails were chipping away. And I think it occurred to me in that moment that my body was actually giving up on me. And I think that is what hurt me the most is because I, I had this this goal, this mission to become an IFBB pro. And I thought it would be glorious and glamorous, but there I was sitting in my bedroom crying because my body was actually giving up on me. I had lost my menstrual cycle. I was starting to lose my hair. Um, if I didn't wear makeup 
every single day. People would ask me if I was sick. Um, and this is unfortunately the reality of competing. And a lot of people don't talk about it because a lot of people are afraid to talk about it because obviously it's a touchy subject. But I don't like to sugarcoat things. And I think the, the entire time I was very honest about what I was going through and how I was feeling. I documented a lot of that on my YouTube channel. Um, and I wanted to stay honest because I've always been honest on my social media. I don't want to pretend that everything is all fine when it's not. Um, and obviously I, I struggled a lot and it was difficult, but I think, I think the thing that kept me going through that pain and through when a lot of people would have given up is the fact that my dad passed away the year prior. So I felt like I actually had nothing except this goal. And it was like, I had to make it there. Like it was life or death. And my body was like actually pretty much dying. So it was literally life or death to get to that goal. And I was willing to do anything. So the reality is to get into that shape that I was, I had to starve and I had to physically deteriorate because my body was actually giving up. Like I lost my, men my, my, my menstrual cycle. And that's, I think that's proof enough to say that my body was not happy. It didn't even have enough energy to do a natural bodily function. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of women, especially in the fitness industry, overlook losing your period as like, it's just a product of what happens. They, yeah. are, they are now considering your menstrual cycle to be the fifth vital sign. So equal to your heart rate, equal to your body temperature. This is a sign of life. And so it's really twisted actually that it's so overlooked like, oh yeah, you, you're going to lose your period. That's just what happens. Imagine telling someone, oh, you're going to lose your heart rate. You're going to stop breathing. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, this is like a life or death situation for females, but it is so overlooked. And so I'm glad that you are really putting emphasis on how important that is. And speaking from my experience in working with clients who have done extreme diets, competing and not competing, it takes a while to bring that back. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to stop competing. I'll start eating. My hormones are going to be great. Like yeah. our, our bodies are resilient, but they're not always very forgiving. And so there's also not just the time it takes to get to the show. There's that huge long recovery period after, which is almost even more challenging because the goal is gone now and you're just left mm -hmm. with the product of that goal. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, you once upon a time went through a pretty hardcore diet too. And I don't know if you've shared that publicly. I don't, do you want to share it publicly? Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. I think it's really important to put it out there. All right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you lead off on that. So I talk a lot of, about these things and I actually don't have very many posts on social media from this time of my life. A, because I've talked a little bit about it, but I feel like it's very far from where I want to be. And B, I actually don't have a lot of footage of that time because I was so busy being miserable. And I remember not wanting to look myself in the face because I looked emaciated. And it's kind of weird to think that at this time, I really thought like, I want to have a six pack. And I had I'd like been overweight when I was younger and I was fit. I was a fitness instructor teaching yoga, but I personally didn't know what it took either. And so I just decided, I'm like, I'm going to have this goal for myself and like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And so for me, it was about, I think six months. So I had never done like steady state cardio or anything. This was all like weird to me, 
but I was like, I'm going to get my butt on the Stairmaster. And so I started there and I was like, hmm, like turns out if you spend whatever, 40 minutes a day sweating, you're going to lose some weight. So I was like, sweet, this is pretty cool. And then I started like looking up um, or talking to people about like different food types. So I was like, I'm going to start tracking my food. And I can't even really pinpoint where things progressed. I just remember like hearing things, learning new things, being like, this is what I need to do following competitors and like learning from what they were doing and it came to a point where I think I was eating like 1300 calories which is not even low compared to competing but it is way too low especially for the activity I had level I had and so I looked very fit I got a nice ish body however I was the least happy I'd ever been and you can ask Denon. I am naturally a happy person. I'm full of energy. I remember crying one time walking home from school because I was just so tired. And I was in full-time school at the time and teaching and I barely had energy to even live my life. And at some point I just remember thinking like, what the hell have I done? I didn't even have like a competing goal. I just got caught in the trap of like, oh, this is how I want to look or like I want to look really fit. And so coming out of that, I think it's been four years and I probably within the past year have felt like quote unquote normal in my mind and in my body again. Like it took me so long to get my cycle back because I was still like fairly active with teaching. And I would say it took like nine months to get my cycle back. It gave me a very poor relationship with food. I was overeating and then undereating and just feeling like I had no quote unquote willpower when it was really an issue with my brain and my body and my hypothalamus not feeling safe. Like Tessa mentioned, I had zero social life, like zero sex drive. And I actually think yeah, that this sex was, drive yeah, is just gone. I think it was a very <laughs> Don't touch me lesson for me. <laughs> Because now I can share that with my clients and I can say like, I understand what you want. And like when they ask for like, oh, should I be doing more cardio? Should I be doing less? Like it's important to be able to say like, I, I thought that's what I wanted. I really did. And then I got in and I was like, this is the opposite of what I want. And I have never felt so terrible in my life. And everyone around you is saying, you look so great. You look so fit except for like your best friends who tell you like, girl, eat a burger. You look like you're about to keel over and die. And so I have done it too, obviously not to the extent of competing, but I think that it's an important lesson that, like I mentioned at the beginning, if you're seeking a goal and you don't have the right why behind it and you don't understand what it takes to get there, there needs to be a little bit more thought put into that. I think one thing I really want to... Um like hit on really quick is that we, how do I say this politically correct? We, I don't think there's anything wrong with you enjoying the gym, enjoying the fitness industry, being a fan of it. I'm still a fan of it. When Big Ramy won the Olympia, man, I felt good because I'd met him the year before the Arnold's and I was like, I'm so happy for that guy because he really is like, he, he is the best and I'm still a fan, but I think there's a lot of issues with taking it to a certain degree where that's where I begin to get worried. So I guess one of my questions for you before I get onto this next one is you've had a good break from competing due to the events around the world that have been conspiring over the past, you know, a long time. We won't have to say what it is because we don't want to get banned on, on all the yeah. podcast streams, but um, you've had a long break from competing. How long after your last show? Because if I'm correct, your last show is the one that you won your pro card? 
Yes, that was September in 2019. And then the world shut down. (laughs) And then the world ended, yeah. (laughs) At what point, how long did it take for your body to get back to like its regular working state? Oh boy. Well, after my show, I rebounded very hard and it was incredibly difficult for me because what, my what does that mean for people who don't know rebound? So a rebound is when, you know, you get really shredded for your show and a rebound is when you gain all of that weight back and then some, because your body is so metabolically adapted to eating such a little amount and doing so much work that it can't actually process the food that you're giving it. So I gained about, I want to say I gained like 40 pounds after my show. And usually like what I am now, I'm like 120. This is where my happy place is. This is where I have a menstrual cycle and my hair is growing. When I was at 140 pounds, I still didn't have period. And I think that's the biggest red flag that my body was pissed at me. So I would probably say, I think it took me over a year to finally feel a little bit normal. Um, it, it wasn't until a year and a half that I was able to let go of the, the binge eating and the tracking everything and the weighing every morsel of food to the gram. And I was able to just let go and let my body be without having to micromanage every aspect of my life, like what I'm eating, how much cardio am I doing if I miss a training session? And I was able to just let go and breathe and let my body do what it wanted. But that was after a year and a half (laughs) since I won my pro card. So throughout that whole time, I tried to diet again. I tried to reverse diet. I tried keto. I tried this just to get the weight off so that I could feel good about myself from the outside. But the damage was all on the inside and nothing was going to be fixed on the outside unless I addressed what was going on internally. So it took, a, it took quite a long time for that to come full circle. Um, and I feel like I have come full circle and then some because I've always struggled with disordered eating. And for the first time since I was 16 years old, I'm finally feeling just calm with food. I don't track. I don't weigh anything. Um, and I eat quite a fair bit now. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? I have to just add on to that and just saying like over the past couple of years of knowing you and like you're a good friend and you are in the happiest place that you have ever been. You are in the healthiest place. I love the conversations we have. I like where you're at right now and I'm so excited to see where you go in the future. But taking it back to, to competitions, hardcore dieting and all that, just to put this into perspective for people, going back to kind of some of the things I think you need to be aware about with the brain is how long was your prep? 16, 20 weeks? No, Two years. <laughs> it was a lot longer than that. I, because I had started my prep with my previous coach. Uh, so we actually started way before I needed to. I think we started at like six months out or something oh crazy. We wanted to take it slow. So I had been dieting um, the start of December 2018 I stopped dieting September actually October of 2019 so I think my prep was about 10 or 11 months okay that's absolute insanity and you know what I'm actually going to link people to a research paper that um, showed people on it was they they tried 16 12 8 and 4 week diets and seed and, and sorry seed and 
they were reviewing how the body responded afterwards and the results on all those diets compared. So I'm going to link that into the, the, um, uh, the mm-hmm. podcast notes at embodiedwellnessco.com slash blog slash 12. That's the number 12. And there you're going to be able to find all of the links to uh, Tessa's social media and all of those fun things. But where I'm going to in this is that you had an 11, maybe almost a year prep for your show. To put this into perspective, when I did my show, I have a very different, well, I, I've got a naturally very lean body type. I don't think it's fair to compare that. It's so not fair, but. Yeah, you're a guy. It's a little different oh, if you're a guy. Uh, completely different. But where I'm going with this is, is on the mental aspect of it. I only did two weeks of prep and I still crushed it. Now I'll, I'll throw a picture up on stage uh, or on the, on the screen here if you're watching on YouTube of what I looked like. Now I only had two weeks of going into this, but. The issue was what happened to my brain afterwards, because there is mental baggage that I still deal with till this day of the events of getting ready for something, going up there, smiling and putting myself up against all of these other guys on stage. Now, although I'm proud of being able to step into an untested show as a natural athlete and, and take my class, that's super exciting. And I was really proud of that. But soon after competing, body dysmorphia completely kicked in on me and I became pretty darn uncomfortable with showing my body even on, on social media, on Instagram, my Instagram had blown up to the point where at the time, um, I had grown to over 40,000 followers. And I had a lot of people who were, were watching the journey because I was so young and it was at the point where people were like, how is this possible? He's a fake natty for sure. A lot of people just, oh, did, yeah. they didn't believe <laughs> I got it. Right. Those comments at 16, you can find Reddit threads about me taking testosterone when I was 16. And I'm like, first of all, my mom would, beat the hell out of me if I took testosterone at 16. Like, Same. It's just incredible. <laughs> but people people will say whatever they want if they see somebody achieving something at a young age because it's, I don't want to say unusual, but it's, I don't know, it's impressive. It. Yeah, exactly. Well, my biggest fear was I, I didn't like going to shows, going to the Arnold's or anything like that. And I was worried about people judging me all the time of being dead in the muscles guy or you know, not seeing me for who I really am and being put into a stigma and pigeonholed as, uh, you know, a certain type. And then what I got really scared about is if people met me and go, oh, he's not anything like he looks like. And that freaked me out. And to this day, I've really had to get past this mental block of being okay with who I am. And even in this past year, I've started to go to the gym less, you know, I'm I'm doing more yoga. I want to get into martial arts. I want to feel awesome about what my body can do and not just how it looks as steve cook says look like an ornament or <laughs> no, no no what what can your body do don't just be an ornament or something along those lines so i think yeah. my question for you is over these years of competing and obviously having hundreds of thousands of eyes on you how have you dealt with body dysmorphia or how people judge you on social media yeah i mean because people deal with dysmorphia. this with 50 followers not well into hundred thousands yeah i mean body dysmorphia is interesting because i i actually never developed it until i started competing because competing you basically directly compare yourself to the next person so it was like i had put on these goggles where i would look at my body in the mirror and everything that i didn't like would be highlighted in red it would stand out immediately to me when i would take a photo or video of myself i would immediately pinpoint these things that I wanted to change that I did not notice previously. Like, for example, I look back at my old photos on Instagram and I, I'm, I see these things now that didn't cause me any stress or pressure 
before, like if I have back rolls, cause I carry a lot of my body fat in my back. Um, or if I have like, if a sports bra is really tight and you get those back rolls that come out underneath. I used to post pictures all the time and I, I never noticed them. I never cared. They never bothered me. But now I notice it immediately because it's been pointed out to me from others. So I guess the body dysmorphia definitely developed during competing when I had to compare myself to other people because that was what I was doing for a sport. Um, and it's, I think it also goes hand in hand with social media. Like you don't have to be a competitor to develop body dysmorphia. I feel like a lot of people have body dysmorphia now because of the fitness industry and like this culture where we're always talking about our bodies, posting about our bodies. The whole entire subject is about what we look like externally. And it's caused us to shift the focus from who we are to what we are and what we lack. Mm -hmm. So we look at ourselves with this lack mentality. Oh, I don't have a big chest. I don't have a big bum. I have cellulite on my legs. And a lot of the stuff we see on social media isn't even real. I made a few posts about this the other day. You have Photoshop, you have Facetune, you have people editing out these things that make us human, that make us real. I've got cellulite on my legs and my butt. I have cellulite everywhere because I, it's natural and it's normal, but you don't see that online because that's not what's posted online. And then you compare yourself to this perfect version of somebody that does not exist. And it causes you to feel less than it causes you to feel like you are not enough because you don't look like that, where it's almost impossible to look like that unless you are eating 800 calories a day and doing two hours of cardio. So which by the way, is less than my morning shake. <laughs> and it's yeah, more cardio I than Denon's done in his whole now. life. No, 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 that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. And I think something's important to, uh, to like focus on as well is the idea that people are always seeking for problems in themselves. And a big contributor to this is it's the first thing they do in the day. So they wake up. Okay. If they go to the washroom first, a lot of women start lifting up their shirt, checking out how they look in the mirror. Am I lean enough? Did I hold on to water? Or they weigh themselves right in the morning on their bathroom scale. Mm -hmm. And the first thing they do is start judging. And so yeah. when you wake up and you start focusing on your problems, your problems are going to be there all day. It was the first yeah. thing you primed your mind to see. And then they check their phone or maybe they've already checked their phone. They check their notifications. Yeah. And so you, now you're outsourcing that sense of connection in the morning to something outside of yourself. So you're looking at your own problems and then trying to connect yourself to the world via something that is potentially very toxic for you. And so mm -hmm. I work with many women who have been through binge and restrict cycles, ex-competitors dealing with body issues. And a huge part of that is reclaiming the way that you start your day by focusing on something positive about yourself. And in the beginning, it could feel really fake or unnatural for you to do. But waking up, looking at yourself and telling yourself one thing that you like. And it doesn't even have to be about the way you look. Maybe you're a nice person. Maybe you're a great girlfriend. Maybe you make bomb craft dinner or whatever it may be. Start the day positively and try to keep your phone on airplane mode for 30 minutes. Decide yourself how you want to start the day and where you're going to find that connection. And this can be game changing because I've also done it myself. And if you start your day focusing on how you're going to feel good, rather on focusing on whether or not other people think that you're good, 
it is a freaking game changer. And I love that you also talked about feeling safe inside of yourself because a mantra I use with a lot of my clients is it is safe to be me. Many Mm -hmm. women are so fearful to show up as themselves, to be more than they think they should weigh, to look a certain way because they're scared of fear of judgment. And we've decided that if we don't look a certain way, it's unsafe for us to show up as who we are because we're going to be judged. And so I think a huge part of healing the brain issues and the body dysmorphia issues is just being okay with being you and understanding that you might not be a fitness model and it's okay. You can still work on bettering your body and being happier and having more confidence, but it's okay to be you even if you don't look the way that IFBB pros look. Yeah, like I fucking love peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. He crushes one of those big Adam's jars every day. Oh, we don't need to tell people how often. Oh my goodness. One one tip that I I would give people that I've I've given this tip to a few people and they've said it's really changed the game for them is you are never going to be able to outrun your environment. And a lot of the times, like you can't be better than what's already around you. Like you just can't outwill that, unfortunately. And you need to curate what's going into your mind, into your brain and what you see. And I hear a lot of people complaining about, well, I just, I see this person on social media and they're just, they're doing this thing. And I just feel like I'm always looking at that. But you need to remember, that's your choice to look at that. Now, it doesn't mean you have to completely disconnect yourself from the world, delete every app off of your phone. It's your choice if you want to maybe go through social media cleanses and take them off your phone for a week. But a few things that you can even do here is let's talk Instagram. You can curate your feed so that, and I do this a lot, sorry to admit this to some people, but I'll follow you, but I'll, I'll often immediately mute you. I just like to point out that Denon had me muted when we were dating. So <laughs> that's only because I thought really? I, I only, oh, yeah. I, <laughs> It's true a few times and I called him out and then he did it again. Okay. To be fair, it's because let's I'm, spill the tea. Okay. I'm super sappy and I would think about her all the time. And I just thought I was being a psychopath if I was thinking Aww. about her all the time. So I, I had Aww. to temporarily mute you for that reason. That's cute. But, okay. We'll let that one slide. All right. We'll let that slide. Um, what you can do is go through your social media and if there's certain things that do not align with your life, but you still want to support that person and maybe you go to their page every month and like a couple photos and make a little comment, but they're slightly toxic. You can just go into their profile, hit the following. It'll give you an option to mute the stories and posts. A lot of the times that's going to take away a lot of the people who are just always popping up first and they bug you a little bit. It's not technically what they say or what they do is right or wrong it's how it affects me that's what it has to be even if what's coming from them is meant in the greatest intention if it affects you in a certain way due to maybe some sort of insecurity or deep down baggage that has been created it's not something wrong with them but if it affects you in the meantime of you dealing with whatever that issue is that you would be projecting out by acting out or getting angry from that you can mute that person that's okay I know that's been a game changer for me. I know that's been a game changer for a lot of people. What about you? Do you have any tips on how to feel better better in this this very social world that we're in? Yeah, so I actually love that you and Sarah mute people because I mute people all the time. Because I don't want to just unfollow someone. I feel like there's a very big negative connotation with unfollowing somebody. Like it's like the biggest slap in the face. Or like if you were to flip someone off on the side of the road, like it's equivalent to that. People take it that way. Um, I think it's, it's not worse now. People, people would rather you get like flipped off that way, but it's like, oh, that person unfollowed me. It's just very 
is taken negatively. So I like to mute people. Um, I am not with one of the brands that I had worked with previously. However, I follow a lot of the people who I had worked with or I was an athlete with. And I noticed that after leaving said brand, it was very triggering for me to constantly see them on my feet and see something that I was no longer a part of and see something that made me feel like I was never accepted or I couldn't do my job right. So I started to mute these people because at the end of the day, we had built friendships with each other. I don't want to just forget about them and just unfollow. So I put them on mute. I still want to support them. I just don't need to see that every single day on my feed. So it's actually gotten a lot better with my social media. Like I have lots of dog pictures coming on my feed. I've got food pictures. It's like 70% memes. And I noticed that when I go on social media, it's a happy thing for me now, instead of comparing myself to something that I didn't, that didn't make me feel good. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think it's very empowering to realize it's your job, your responsibility and your choice to choose what you take in and also what you put out. So to say to someone, oh, you know, just don't let it affect you. It's okay. Like what they look like doesn't affect you. This is not very valuable. That is some deep baggage work that we need to do. So you can simply start by saying, today I'm going to protect my energy by muting anything that shows up on my feed for the next 24 hours that causes me to feel a negative emotion. And this Mm -hmm. might be nothing about the person as we talked about. It could be about you. It's still your job to protect your energy. And you'll notice that the more that you become aware of and seek out what's affecting you and the more that you start to move away from this, the better you feel. And so that healing process can naturally start to come because you're no longer triggered every time you open your phone. And then like Tessa said, like social media can be a beautiful thing. I have learned so much great information, strategies, um, watched a lot of videos that have made me laugh until my belly hurts on social media because at some point Den- with Denon's encouragement, I just made the choice that this is going to be a great space for me. And if somebody is saying something that's triggering to me constantly, if I have to read people who maybe don't share the most accurate information with really big followings, I'm just going to mute them or unfollow them because it, it's your responsibility to choose what you let into your life. And a lot mm-hmm. of the times we fall victim to ourself, to what we're taking in, to the choice we make to look at these things or like even search somebody's profile to compare yourself that you know you're not going to be happy about. And so yeah. really empower yourself to take the next, I'd say 24 hours, but let's start with one hour and anything that you find during the next hour that feels like, ugh, or makes you have a reaction, see if you can step away from that. And the more that you start to do this and the more that you audit your life and the more that you are mindful about what you consume, who you surround yourself with, the way that people make you feel, you're naturally going to start to feel better and more confident because you can show up as yourself when you remove all of this, these things that keep you small. Mm -hmm. Ladies, this has been a fantastic discussion. I'm really happy we got together to talk about some of these things. I I hope this is valuable to some of the people who've been listening to it. Tessa, where can people find you at? Uh, People can find me on predominantly Instagram at Tessa Barassi. I do have a YouTube channel, which I have not posted on since last summer. Um, 
where there's a lot of prep files documented, but I am mostly on my Instagram. That's where I like to share most of my life and most of my things. I think we might have to get a vlog going on our little uh, Tofino trip we've been talking about. Yes. That, that, that could <laughs> yeah. be a good vlog. Well, that's fantastic. I'm going to link to your profiles on uh, the podcast notes, and they, those can be found at embodiedwellnesscode.com slash blog slash 12. That's the number 12. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so excited to see you again soon in person. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. The information and other content provided in this podcast or any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice, nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider and seek other professional medical treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you may have heard on this podcast or any link materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are of no relation to those of any academic, hospital, health practice, or other institution. 